0: This is Rachel Richards.
2: I'm Cody Berman. This is Justin Taylor, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast.
1: We are evolving. This idea of work hard, grind it out, and retire in your 40s or later didn't appeal to the younger generation. So they set out, armed with passion, side hustles, and passive income to make their own way without a nine-to-five, without employers. Then the pandemic and recession set in. How have they fared? Did life turn out the way they expected it? Is the world still their oyster? Rachel Richards is a best-selling author, real estate investor, and former financial advisor. Her most recent book is Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Rachel, welcome back to Earn and Invest.
0: Hey, thanks, Doc G. I'm excited to be back.
1: I am so excited to have this conversation with you and talk about what passive income looks like post-retirement. But before I do, Justin Taylor and Cody Berman are the genius behind the Fi Show podcast. Cody has several side hustle courses and has been building up a real estate empire while Justin left the Air Force for corporate America and is a money-saving expert. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having us. Excited to be back.
2: Yeah, me as well, Doc. Appreciate inviting us on.
1: I'm so happy to have you. Justin, can I call you a money-saving guru? Does that work?
2: I think it's fair. I think maybe a 90% savings rate has earned me that, right?
1: I was looking at your blog the other day and you were going through your monthly budget. And when I looked at your grocery bill, my eyes almost popped out. I mean, it was like $10 here, $15 there. It's, It's nuts.
2: Yeah, I don't know. That's one thing people always gravitate towards. I think it's because something we can all relate to. It's like everybody has a grocery bill. Most people's are not that low, even though like realistically, right? Like I could quadruple my grocery bill and it's not really moving the needle incredibly as far as like, you know, your overall expenses, things like, you know, a house payment or car payment or, you know, even discretionary funds, a lot of times overshadow a grocery bill, but yeah. And people always ask me, like, you just eating beans and cardboard or something? It's like, no, just, uh, you know, chicken breasts, broccoli, sweet potatoes, you know, just good old healthy, boring stuff. That's it's not too complicated. Anybody could do it.
1: So Cody, let me start with you. Let's talk about ancient history. When you left college, you did start a nine to five job. What happened with
3: that? Just slowly started falling out of love with it. And, you know, As you know, Doc, I've been in the community before that happened. It was like 19 when I kind of jumped into the whole early retirement financial independence space. And kind of honestly, knowing that other people were doing this thing where they were were retiring in their 20s or in their early 30s, it made me hate my job even more. That was kind of like a blessing and a curse. It's like, I kind of know that this whole other world exists. I might've been happy in that job for a couple of years, grinding it out, like what you talked about in the intro here, nose to the grindstone, saving as much money as possible, but I just saw that there were so many more options. So I tried my hand at entrepreneurship. Seven months in, I quit that corporate job, have not turned back since, and it was the best decision I ever made. Yeah. I often
1: wonder, Cody, what if I, like you, had learned about all this stuff like while I was in medical school, how long would I have stayed at my job? I mean, I was a physician for pretty much 20 years, and I imagine that trajectory would have been much less... Rachel, you
0: say you retired at
1: 27. Tell us about your first kind of quote unquote adult job and how you decided to leave it.
0: Yes, I started out as a financial advisor right after college and I was making, I think, $36,000 then. I quickly realized that although I have this passion for helping people with investing and money management, I do not have a passion for cold calling. And that's what you do when you're a financial advisor. It's a sales job. And I just couldn't see myself doing that for five to 10 years. So I kind of bounced around and I had several other jobs after that. But even before that, I think I just knew I wasn't cut out for the corporate world. Like I just value my independence way too much and I want to be able to work on my terms and when and if and where I want.
1: Justin, let's compare and contrast your story to Rachel and Cody's. I mean, you left the armed forces And you're quite a side hustler. I mean, you have a pizza business. You are the, you know, frugality guru, apparently. Why go to corporate America? Why not kind of take the same steps that Rachel and Cody did?
2: I'm not too much of an entrepreneur. I do have the, you know, I I wouldn't call it a pizza business. You know, I've done a couple. (laughs) pizza sales. It's just, it's like a thing that I got interested in. I'm like habitually into different, you know, things. Like I just go after so many different things. I'm always on so many different trips, so many different, you know, just things I get into that I'm never like really focused on one thing. So a really just kind of stable, high paying job. That's super flexible that I can work remote. I can work the hours that I want to. It just fits my brain and my personality really well. Cause I've never been able to just like stick with one thing. So it's easy for me to like you know, do the corporate thing in the background while I'm all the place in my personal life and my day to day. And I mean, you know, I think I may would get into things like that if it was a necessity, like if I hated my job or if the job didn't pay enough, but the job is not bad, pays really well. And so with those combination of things, you know, I haven't had that necessity drive me into really paving my own way off on the side.
1: Justin, was there a sigh of relief when the pandemic hit? Were you like, whew, I'm kind of glad I have this corporate job as a fallback as opposed to doing something more entrepreneurial where
2: you wouldn't be sure. Well, I think the thing I thought about the most is like I was getting close to where I could have pulled the trigger and went ahead and retired. I was very glad that I didn't and was able to have that high income to just really shove money into the market while it was down. And now where I'm sitting, I'm sitting almost three times the net worth that I had when the pandemic started. Or when it, when it hit its bottom, I should say. So, you know, I'm very glad that I, I stuck in it. Obviously, no one can time the market. You never know, but it's just one of those fortunate situations. And it's also really interesting in the kind of work that I do. You see the certain companies have really thrived because of the pandemic. Like, it's unfortunate what it's done to so many people's lives, but there are actually some companies that have exploded. I mean, you can see the Zooms of the world and any, a lot of your kind of distributed work situations have really thrived during the pandemic. So our job wasn't affected. It was actually boosted. We actually hired a lot more employees. And so, yeah, I was very grateful to be in the line of work that I'm in and that I stuck in there a little longer to keep kind of keep patting the pile.
1: Cody, talk about that from your standpoint. I mean, you were really kind of building your empire, I feel, getting the passive income and side hustles going right when the pandemic hit. Did it slow your stride at all?
3: No. So that was another surprising thing. So a lot of where I've been focusing my time over the past year has been, you mentioned that beginning, like side hustle courses, teaching people how to make money in different, various strategic ways online. And that was a huge theme during the pandemic. I mean, people were losing their jobs left and right. People were searching up, trying to figure out different and fun strategic ways to make money that maybe they just hadn't thought about before. So for most of the stuff that I've been doing, and I know you mentioned real estate as well, that that was another avenue that I kind of jumped into it during the pandemic. But no, everything was positively affected. You know, thank goodness. And my heart goes out to anyone who's negatively negatively affected. But man, it's it's been a it's been a wild ride. It's been a been a good year though for business type things.
1: Rachel, I feel like you were pretty well established by the time the pandemic hit. Did it change your strategy at all as you saw the world shutting down as the recession? started were you changing the way you were doing your side hustles and and getting your passive income?
0: Not so much changing it, but I definitely think that I was hit harder than maybe you guys were Justin and Cody because so I think there are two ingredients to success if you retire early and become financially independent. One of them is to make sure your income stream is as passive as possible cuz To me, the goal of becoming financially independent is that I don't have to work anymore, although I choose to continue to work. So as passive as possible. And then the other ingredient is to have as many income streams as possible, as many sources of income. So income diversification. What happened with us last April? So I quit my job in August 2019. And then in April of 2020, when things went really south with COVID, we lost a lot of rental income leading up to that we were pretty consistently making ten thousand dollars in profit from our rental portfolio in april though we made zero dollars in profit so we lost all 10k of that we didn't lose money though we broke even but the only reason i wasn't operating from a place of panic or desperation is that i had all these other income streams keeping us afloat we had i had my book royalties and my online courses and other investments that were keeping us afloat. So that was a huge key for me. If I had just been solely dependent on my rental income, that would have been a very scary and tough month for us. But we were able to get through that just fine and then our rental income bounced back very quickly.
1: Justin, talk about that concept a little more, diversification of income streams. I mean, you make a pretty big corporate salary, right? I've seen you write on the blog, it's six figures. Why the need to do some of these side hustles and other things?
2: Again, like you know, I don't do like a ton of side hustles, but I think the reason it's so interesting is there's just a different feeling. I know I'm sure Cody and Rachel could speak to it even better than me. There's just a different feeling of a dollar that you earn, like that you really generated completely yourself, than than a dollar that you earn from a company. That just it's the psycho, the psychology behind it just feels different. You know, I also have some benefits like from the Air Force as far as income diversity that makes me feel a little safer about it. I try to be as diversified as I can through my investments. I try to do as heavily investing as I can in, you know, whether it be tax like tax sheltered accounts or brokerage accounts. Like I try to spread my risk around as much as I can. But the reason that I've kind of dipped my toes in doing a little bit of things like, you know, maybe throwing out the idea of a a pizza business is just because it's fun. Like there's just something psychologically different about earning your own dollar. It feels way more rewarding.
1: Cody, speaking of earning your own dollars it's a common pathway which you and Rachel share is this idea of if you're going to ditch the nine to five, real estate almost feels like a must have as an asset. Do you think you can make it today kind of on the passive income side, on the side hustle side without at least dabbling in real estate?
3: I think it's totally possible. And I mean, Justin and I have interviewed Hundreds of people at this point, and there are people who do it. There are people who have not even stepped toe, they haven't dipped their toes in the real estate arena at all, and they're crushing it. There's people retiring in their 20s or early 30s. I think it's 100% possible, but you know, on the flip side of that equation, I'm sure Rachel can talk about that as well. And a, a phrase that I really like is cash flow five. Now, you've heard me talk about that before, Doc. And it just you can just supercharge your path so much faster. Like, for example, our friends James and Emily, who we had on the podcast before, you know, they were kind of at almost zero and then two and a half years later they retire from strategic duplex purchases. And I mean even same with my real estate journey like I started acquiring properties probably only a year ago and now they bring in like 4000 to 4500 a month in semi passive income. I'm obviously spending, you know, a couple hours a month just kind of managing everything, but I don't know that's that's the reason why I kind of jumped into the real estate world just because I saw the if you're strategic about it and then like I don't want any everybody listening to this to just go and buy an investment property just because you can create outsized returns, but there is that real possibility. Like you're not going to get a you know a 50% return, say in the stock market. That'd just be a an insane year. But you can get returns like that with like the right property at the right time in the right market. And yeah, so I, I guess I can argue for both sides of that equation, but I don't think that it is an essential part of the recipe for success in early retirement.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, Cody. I think that owning rental property is not necessary to achieve financial independence or to retire early. At this point in my business, my money honey business, I'm generating a lot more passive income from my books and my online courses than my rental properties. So I've out earned our our rental portfolio. However, I say so while you can do it without owning real estate. I still think every young person should own real estate because there's so many benefits. It's not just about the cash flow or the passive income. It's the equity buildup. It's the tax benefits. It's the potential appreciation. So I just think it's one of the best tools for building long-term wealth.
3: And one more thing on that, and this is another reason why I think real estate is such a powerful tool is like everybody is going to need a place to live. You might have a course that it's gonna go out of style. Whether it's you know selling on some certain platform or it's learning how to do some certain online thing, but you know maybe twenty years from now that platform's obsolete or the thing you're teaching is just something that doesn't make sense anymore and people don't want to do that as a side hustle or this money management tool is just out of style. Real estate doesn't go out of style, which is the coolest part about it. And yeah, you know, that, that's another reason going back to income diversification, like Justin was talking about you know, that's why I feel a lot safer, like having some of these different income streams rather than just just all like online entrepreneur income, for example.
1: Justin, I'm listening to them both and I'm thinking, wow, you know, real estate is very powerful. Should you do it if you don't like it? I mean, do you own any properties? Are you planning on owning any properties?
2: Yeah. Like Cody mentioned, we've interviewed so many people and while some of them don't have real estate, a lot of them do. And it's, it's obviously very powerful. Just kind of the timing. Like, I lived in downtown Boston and then now in Austin, Texas, where the real estate market is insane. And I'm also probably like the most productive, lazy human you'll ever meet. (laughs) Like, and so, like, just stuffing cash into an investment portfolio has been great for me. And like, I'm already, you know, almost 40 times, like, you know, if you talk about the 25 times your expenses, I'm probably closer to 40 and i just still enjoy my job so i'm still throwing it in there so there's no real like there's no real need for me i mean i'm 31 i could retire today if i wanted to i think real estate's super powerful i would love to get into it sometime but i'll probably wait until i'm done working and i can kind of you know live in an area where it makes a little more sense
0: yeah i love that justin and to add to your question doc you said should you do it if you don't like to i feel like i didn't really love real estate investing I was excited about it because I knew what it could do for us. But my goal has never been to build this enormous real estate empire. We've actually sold a couple of our buildings over the last few months. And a lot of people are surprised to hear, oh, you're not going to build up your portfolio. And I always say, well, no, for us, it was always a means to an end we had this goal of getting to 10K a month in passive profit from our rentals. And once we did that by 2018, we stopped acquiring properties. So it wasn't something that I was ever so passionate that I wanted to just do that for the rest of my life. But I saw it for what it allowed us to do and free free us up so we could quit our jobs and do all the things that we love to do on the side.
1: Cody, as we have this conversation, we talk a lot about retirement. And all three of you have thrown the R word around should we even be using that term anymore? Because I, I get kind of confused because all of us, and I'm included in this, I think we're actively involved in what I would call work. And yet we still use the word retirement. How does it fit? Do we need to define it differently?
3: I don't know. And you see this debate in so many different Facebook groups. I think the I mean, the biggest thing is the people who are quote unquote retiring or having the option to never work again in their late 20s, early 30s. These are obviously driven people who have a hell of a lot of discipline and they're all about They're making or saving money. Like these people aren't just going to go like sit in the beach and drink pina coladas for the rest of their life. They're going to get involved in something, whether it's, you know, whether it's a purely profit driven mission or just going and trying their hand at something else. Like, you know, maybe Justin goes and does the pizza business 20 hours a week after he leaves corporate America. I don't know, but I just think the type of person that does retire this early and who saves that amount of money and who's that driven to earn? Those are not the type of people who are just going to kind of sit there and never do anything again.
0: Yeah, I agree totally, Cody. A lot of my followers will be like, well, Rachel, you're not retired. You're clearly still working and putting out new programs. And yes, that's that's totally the point for me. I could retire and not work and sit on the beach and do whatever, and some people do that, and that's great. I just get bored easily. And like you said, just being such a driven, ambitious person, I want to continue to make a greater and greater impact. So now it's about working when, where, and if I want. And certainly, I think, I think maybe we can retire the use of the word retire. See what I did there? I think financially independent might be a better fit. So I'm trying to use that a little bit more often these days.
1: Justin, I'm wondering, do you ever tell people you're retired? I mean, Actually, based on some of our definitions, with your low amount of spending, you probably have, like you were saying, 30, 40, maybe more times your annual needs saved up. You'd qualify as retired by any kind of financial independent person, or at least having enough money to be retired. Is the corporate job you do, maybe for fun, maybe because you like that extra protection, make you any more or less retired than someone who spends 10 hours a week managing a bunch of buildings or spends 15 hours a week setting up online courses.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that goes back to that kind of oddity of the way we're using the word retire now and maybe why it doesn't make as much sense. Like if I said retire to a a normal person walking the street, who's not in this space. And but then I also told them that I had a a normal day job, like they're going to look at me a little crazy. That doesn't make sense to most (laughs) people. I think I'm definitely financially independent by any definition. And so, yeah, that's probably the thing we should maybe just lean more on. But, you know, when I think about retire, I guess I'm thinking about now I'm only doing projects that I absolutely want to do. I don't care how much money it makes. And I get, and I know that goes right back to financial independence.
1: Yeah. Justin, let's also flip this around. I mean, we're talking a lot about income, but how big a role does frugality play in it? I mean, that's a big part of your story. Maybe we even get a little more bang for our buck there, too.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's that exponential thing, right? And it's that multiplier. I mean, you can make $50,000 a year and and spend $40,000 a year. And it takes you four years of saving to be prepared for one year of not working, or you can save half and every year you work prepares you for one year of not working. And so that's four times the speed with that change. And so when you couple a high paying job with a very limited amount of spending, It's insanely powerful. And I think the one negative thing, though, or the one thing I hate is especially in circles where you do earn a lot of money. People look down on Frugal even more than the general public. But I hope that people who know me, (laughs) I think Cody could attest, like I'm not living a life of struggle. Like I'm sitting in Los Angeles right now. You know, I'm out here for like two weeks just because I can work from anywhere and I got buddies that live out here. Um, I'm constantly on the road. I just got back from like a two week trip to Yellowstone and Idaho and whatever. And like multiple, like I went to four concerts this week. I'm constantly doing things. Honestly, sometimes more struggle with what do people spend their money on? Like, how <laughs> do you spend $50,000 in a year? Like, I'm not even sure I could do it. I mean, obviously, you know, I could go start buying some cars and stuff, but just naturally. It would take zero effort for me to continue to spend less than $25,000 a year. It's not a struggle. Cody,
1: Justin asks, what do you spend your money on? And I am different from all of the rest of you sitting here on this panel in the sense that I have two kids. And so I'm wondering, you know, does children change the equation? I mean, it's one thing when you're single to get out of college and say, I'm going to run my own thing. I'm going to do the side hustles. I'm going to develop passive income. Does it become a different story if you have kids? I mean, I
3: definitely can't speak from someone who has kids, but I can at least give you my best guess. I think the biggest thing that slows people down on any financial mission is those big expenses. Like since we've last chatted, Dr. I definitely spend more money on discretionary stuff, but that's what it is. Like I could cut it all off tomorrow. I could stop going to restaurants. I could stop going to bars with friends. Like I could cut that all off tomorrow, but you know, my housing is zero because I'm, Investing in house hacking. My car is just insurance because I have a paid off car. Like I keep those expenses as low as possible. I don't think that has to be a different thing if you have kids. Like I, you don't need a new car if you have kids. You don't need to have, you know, five thousand square foot house if you have kids. Like those aren't necessities. They might be nice to have, but there's always kind of a cheaper, frugler way around it. And once you have those huge fixed expenses, knocking you down month after month, the second you get in financial trouble, you lose a job, you lose an income stream. Like now you're way worse off than someone who's just, you know, maybe they're, maybe they are spending a lot of discretionary income on vacations and going out to eat and going out to events and things like that. But the person in that second scenario can shut those expense streams, if that's even a term off at will. Whereas the first person's kind of stuck in these, you know, these month over month fixed income traps. Obviously, I can't speak from someone who has kids, but I think that is the biggest thing that I see for people who are struggling, because I've talked to a lot of people who ask me just random financial questions, and that's the biggest thing. They can't create that gap between their income and expenses because those expenses are fixed and they don't have a way of getting out.
1: Rachel, do you get that same criticism kind of thrown your way? Oh, you don't have kids. So, of course, it's easy for you.
0: Sometimes, but that's one of the reasons that my husband and I intentionally wanted to fat fire Where we only wanted to quit our jobs and become financially independent if we had a huge income stream or a huge nest egg, because we didn't want to be confined. So Justin, I was laughing because you were like, "I don't know how people spend fifty grand a year," and I'm over here thinking, "I don't know how people spend only fifty grand a year." Although that that wasn't always the case, because I used to be just like you, Justin, where I was so strict and so disciplined, and I was just living on such a small budget. And that doing that was necessary for me to get to this point where I can spend money a lot more freely and without having to worry about it. I think the takeaway is that we we hear this phrase, personal finance is personal. What works for one person doesn't work for somebody else. And that's fine. We can all achieve financial independence our own way.
1: Yeah, I love this idea that I think all of us, maybe Justin excluded, but all the rest of us, I think, have, have loosened the reins, right? As we've gotten a little bit more comfortable with our numbers, we've gotten more comfortable with entrepreneurship or wherever our income is coming from, that we've found we could spend more. Just wondering, Rachel, you use the term fat fire. What do you define as fat fire?
0: I, I think everyone defines it differently. But for us, it was that $10,000 a month in profit, in passive profit, because at the time we were spending something like $6,000 a month in expenses. So that gave us tons of buffer room and the ability to continue to save money. And you made a good point a second ago, Doc, about just loosening the reins. And I think that's very true. Earlier on in our journey, we were very careful to avoid lifestyle creep. We wanted to keep our expenses the same and increase our income exponentially to grow that gap. Now that we are in the place that we are, we have given into lifestyle creep and we feel like we can enjoy the fruits of our labor. So I think you just have to be aware of where you are in the journey and when it's time to give in to lifestyle creep or keep avoiding it.
3: I think that's such an important point. And something that Justin and I actually talked about on a recent episode is like, you know, you retired or you hit that mark when you were 27, I think I read Rachel, but it's just, if you get those first couple of years, right, like even 22 to 27, you save up a hundred K or more. And you just sit on that and literally live paycheck to paycheck until you're 65, you're going to have millions of dollars as long as that money is invested somewhere. I think that's just so important, getting those beginning years right. And then you know, as you start getting the 10, 15, whatever more per month, then you can start to you know let lifestyle inflation creep in a little bit. And you can get that car. You can get that house because you've already kind of built that financial base and your money has is going to be working for you for the rest of your life at that point.
0: Yes, 100% agree. A lot of people ask if I'm a trust fund baby because I scaled our real estate portfolio so quickly. And so I always clarify, no, I'm not a trust fund baby. And I never made six figures from a job or a career. I think I'd already said I started out making only $36,000. But because we were so frugal and disciplined back then, I was living off something like $1,500 a month in expenses. And I was saving half of my income even then. And again, if I hadn't done that back then and been so strict and frugal, I wouldn't be where I am today.
2: You know, I think a, just an interesting kind of different way of looking at lifestyle creep is in a, in a positive way, because, you know, like Rachel said, she's not a trust fund baby. I'm certainly not either. I'm from the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, and I did not see much money growing up. i not never seen anybody with money. And with that, I didn't also really understand salaries that you could demand, And one thing I've been kind of thinking about is this idea of keeping up with the Joneses in a positive way. If you start understanding what other people around you are earning, and I know that we're in this community where people are doing all these great things, and I think that helps push each of us to even be more successful and to do more things. You know, once I started or once I landed my job at first, I was blown away by the salary I had, but then I started noticing people around me were earning even more money, so I started fighting for that, even though going into it you know, I thought everything was great. It's kind of that ignorance is bliss. So I think there can be some positives. We're trying to keep up with people around you, just only the positive attributes and not necessarily the spending.
1: Justin, how will you know when it's enough? I mean, do you have an end point where like you'd say, okay, forget corporate America. I now have this many million dollars in the bank, or I, I now have hit this point that I'll be feel good about leaving?
2: Yeah. I mean, part of it is just, you know, everybody's personal life has got different things going on for me. You know, Leslie, my girlfriend, she's not there yet. And I figure, you know, I can just keep working while she needs to work for a couple more years. And it accelerates both of our timelines. If I just keep working a little bit longer then we can both quit together and we can stay quit. Also, you know, if it, the job ever becomes a real pain, like the, my job was starting to kind of wear on me a little bit. But I was able to find an internal move that excited me and that gave me more salary. And so I took that and that kind of rejuvenated me. If things started fizzling out, maybe I'd look at a different company. And then if I realized like, you know what, it's not the company, it's not whatever, I just need to quit, then then I will. But right now, the amount of kind of extra options it's adding on, it's adding on this ability for me to loosen the reins. It's adding on the ability for me to do all these other things in life. And I'm just kind of striking while the iron's hot. You know, I know you can always go back to work, but I'm in a pretty sweet position right now. And so I'm just going to kind of milk it for a little longer.
1: Cody, are we giving corporate America short shrift? I mean, there are some good things about being employed. I mean, I can think of like health insurance. A lot of people like my wife likes to go to work because the socialization, right? She kind of sees the same people. She actually mostly works virtually, but she's been in the same job for 20 years I mean, are there things that are good about corporate America that we're we're ignoring?
3: Not in my specific situation, but I'm sure there are a lot of positives. And I mean, I've heard Justin talk about the positives at his job, and we've had a lot of guests talk about the positives at their job. The biggest thing that I didn't like was the lack of ownership that I had doing anything. Like any project I got, I didn't really know why I was doing it. Like my boss would just say, hey, Cody, get X, Y, and Z done. And I just didn't feel like I had any stake in the game. So it was, and that's totally not me. I mean, as you know, I've just, I've tried every entrepreneurial venture under the sun and I love that feeling of like making that dollar for yourself and having full ownership and being proud of the final project. And I'm sure there are jobs that are like that. Like I know there's a lot of entrepreneur type roles in corporate America. I just didn't have that. So yes, there are definitely benefits to corporate America. I mean, even things like having access to a 401k match and having access to amazing benefits that a company might provide just unfortunately my 7 month stint in my corporate america role <laughs> didn't come with those things
0: <laughs> yeah i agree i i mean i think there are things that i don't didn't like about corporate but there are are tons of benefits too and unfortunately i think there's this tendency in this entrepreneurial community or fi community to look down at people who who do corporate work and i don't like that because entrepreneurialism is not for everybody, right? And there are some people that love their jobs. I really enjoyed my job before I quit, and becoming an entrepreneur is just not the right path for them. But regardless, passive income and building multiple income streams can help anyone, whether you want to quit your job or not. So I think it just comes down again to follow your own path and just because other people are achieving five one way doesn't mean that you have to do the same. And kudos to you Justin for finding a way to take advantage and leverage that opportunity so that you can achieve five even faster.
1: On this episode, we'd like to give a shout out to Unify Money. The big banks spend billions of dollars on advertising each year and create special acquisition incentives and promotions to attract new customers. And you know why? Because they have to. Because they offer very poor value for customers' deposits. The separate accounts and functions make it purposefully complex to manage money. All these expenses, advertising, branch costs, etc., have to be paid for. Unfortunately, it's the customers that foot the bill through low interest rates and high fees. A typical bank retains over 90% of what they make from people's money. Unify Money aims to give 90% of the money back to users. It has been created to provide people with a better way to manage their money. Unify Money offers a single solution that includes everything you need for everyday money management, including saving, spending, and investing. Unify Money has optimized your personal financial management to make it effortless, maximizing passive income via interest and cash back and creating long-term financial assets through investment automatically and by default. Unify Money makes your money work for you, not the bank. If you want to learn more, check it out. Go to earnandinvest.com slash unify. Again, that's earnandinvest.com slash unifi and check them out. Rachel, I asked Justin what would make him leave corporate America. Let me switch that around on you. Is there anything that would make you go back to corporate America?
0: <laughs> I think I would have lasted longer if if I was given the opportunity to work remote and to work my own hours. But I laugh because I don't think there's an, any amount of money in the world that would get me to go back. I just value my freedom and, and the way that I get to live my life way too much.
1: <laughs> Cody, Rachel makes a good point. I mean the virtual world we now live in feels a lot more free, it might be that corporate America would feel less inhibited to you now than it did back then.
3: I think maybe I could see myself working for like a startup where I have like ultimate flexibility, not like a corporate role where it's like just corporate red tape, you know, in the position I was in, it was like financial analyst one, financial analyst two, financial analyst three, senior financial. It was like that. It was just like, you're jumping up the wrongs of the ladder most of the people were pretty miserable and like I said, no ownership, but I could maybe see myself doing something and it would definitely be work remote because I'm totally about that lifestyle freedom, like Rachel just mentioned, but I like working with other people, getting cool things done, if that makes sense. So if the right opportunity came up and like, Hey Cody, like we think you'd be a great fit to help us with this new startup, or this new project or building this really awesome course. And, you know, maybe that's not quite corporate America, but I could see myself doing something like that as long as I have the. As long as I have the capacity to work on my own time and kind of a more project-based job rather than, hey, Cody, work from these hours to these hours, and there's no excuses.
1: Justin, what both Cody and Rachel talk about is this almost lack of creativity in corporate America. Do you still feel like you're able to express yourself? I mean, that's what I tend to hear when I listen to a lot of these people who've pursued entrepreneurship is that ultimately they didn't feel both freedom and creativity. Do you still feel that in your corporate job?
2: Yeah, I think that's one thing that's, you know, keeping me there is actually when I moved teams, you know, there was a discussion around, well, I would be swapping managers and like how much that mattered to me. But realistically, with my job, you know, I love the manager that we have at our company, but it really doesn't matter that much because I get to run what I do my day to day completely on my own. And I have a very you know interesting mix of clients that are in all different types of industries and are at different points in their journey. And I get to customize what I'm doing with them. And and each one of them presents different problems. And so at my core, that's my favorite thing in the world is solving problems. And it's always a different problem. It's interesting because, again, they're in different fields. They're different parts of their journey, the different maturity levels. The competencies that they have on their teams are different. So every day I get to go in and just be as creative as I want to be with very little oversight. I mean, yeah, you know, you have some really big deals where somebody just kind of wants to check in every now and then, make sure you're doing what you're supposed to do. But very little oversight. I get to really run what I want to do. And so if I had someone micromanaging me, yeah, I would be in a different company or I'd quit or whatever. But right now, I mean, again... The hour flexibilities, like I can just pick the schedule however I want to. I can work from wherever I want to. I can take off as much as I want to. That coupled with the salary and the benefits, I don't know, and just makes it very, very hard to leave.
1: Yeah, you know, you make a great point. I mean, we love this artificial boundary of corporate America versus working for yourself. But what you're really talking about is you all feel fairly empowered and free in your positions, whether you're working for someone or not. And To me, that almost seems like the difference. Rachel, this is 2021. We hopefully come through this pandemic. There was a very short recession. How do you think the landscape is different today compared to when you decided to leave corporate America? Is it the same? Is it just as easy or harder to go out on your own today than it was a few years ago?
0: I think with real estate investing specifically, it's a little harder right now. The markets are crazy all over the place. And the biggest struggle that I hear from people wanting to start investing in real estate right now is that they can't find good deals anywhere. So I think that landscape has certainly changed. And I'm I'm telling people, hey, if all you're doing is looking at the MLS, you're right. You're not going to find good deals. You have to be willing to do these creative off-market strategies like probate leads and pre-foreclosures and bandit signs and all this different stuff. You have to be willing to do what others are not in order to get started. So I think that's one big difference from the time I quit versus now. And then in general, though, I think there's still such a need for information. There's still such a need for education on how to invest in real estate and on how to start a side hustle or to leverage your corporate job to your benefit and get promotions and get raises so that you can build a nest egg and quit early. And I think the more of us that can do that, the better. That's still very much needed. So I think any informational products, self-publishing a book like I did, doing an online program or a boot camp, I think that is something anybody can do.
1: Cody, answer the same question for me. How do you feel like the landscape is
3: different today compared to when you graduated from college? So I guess I can answer in the same capacity or order that Rachel did. So in terms of real estate, you're right. You have to get super creative. But I mean there are no no matter what era, no matter what time, I think there's always deals to be had. You just have to be willing to kind of, you know, peel back the curtain and look in places that other people aren't looking. Like when I first when I was first looking to invest in real estate, I was looking in Massachusetts around kind of where I am and the price to rent just didn't make any sense. I was losing out to all cash offers and they were like 25, 30 over asking. And you know that might sound crazy or not depending on what area of the country you're in. I know Justin mentioned this place is in Austin going for hundred K over cash, but I had to jump the border and go over and look in Connecticut or an Island. And that's where I started to see some deals pop up. And you know, I got one distressed property. I had another property that I like put an offer in the day it was on the market. And I actually went 25 over. So you do have to kind of, be willing to be flexible, be a little creative with your, whether it's financing or your offer or whatever the thing might be. In terms of going out and becoming an entrepreneur, I think you're totally right, Rachel. With like info products, people now are looking to solve their problems on their own, I think more than ever before, especially with people in just unstable or uncertain situations, people who have lost their job, people who are looking for that passive income source or who are looking to invest the extra money that they might have because they've never really had to do that before because they were just so comfortable in that job that might've gotten axed in the beginning of 2020. That's in terms of info products. And I mean, most of my pretty much exclusively besides real estate of my income is through some kind of online capacity, whether it's teaching other people or, you know, I make money through affiliates and sponsorships as well. Um, But in terms of like a restaurant, I don't, I can't really speak to a physical business like that. Like it might be harder. I'm not sure. I know restaurants are still kind of on the come up, coming out of the pandemic. So I I can't speak to the entrepreneurs who are going and, you know, starting a restaurant or opening a gym or some other physical type business. But I think in terms of info products and digital products, like those have never been hotter than they are right now.
1: Justin, we are part of a community of some amazing creators. We see these people just doing great in real estate. We see them creating courses. Any regrets about the way you did things looking back? I know I certainly do. I look back and say, boy, I wish I had done this sooner. I had been involved in that sooner. You ever feel that kind of sense of regret?
2: I think everybody needs to be you know, fair with themselves when they're looking at their journey and think about you know, what are some of the things that they had that were Privileges and what are some of the things they had that were barriers to overcome? And a lot of those things kind of build these dominoes that make different stories available and different stories not available. So for me, you know, I had no money to go to college on. So in comes ROTC, you know, and that's what led me into the Air Force. It was a way for me to get some job experience, which was right. You know, I started college and then my freshman year, the Great Recession happens and no one, people with, PhDs in engineering can't find a job. And so I'm thinking, okay, I need a guaranteed job. I need a way to pay for college. I ended up getting to make money going to college by doing the RTC thing. And that locks me in for four years. And so then I'm there. I end up doing six. My last job in the Air Force gave me some really great experience. It's good in the corporate world. And with that gave me, again, that really high income. And with my low savings, I could just see such a short path to retirement if I stayed on the current path I was on yeah, it would be awesome if I had the certain skill or I had the ability to go out on a limb and try something earlier in life or if I wasn't locked into a certain career field for a certain amount of time. But that just wasn't my story. So I didn't really have the options, I don't think. I mean, obviously anyone could could have done it, but it wasn't as right there in front of me as I think it might be for some people.
1: Rachel, same question to you. Any regrets as you look back taking kind of the pathway you took?
0: That's a good question. It seems like snooty to be like I regret nothing. Everything turned out the way it was supposed to be. And so I don't know if I regret anything. There's definitely mistakes I made, but I learned from those mistakes and those it was important for me to make those mistakes so that I could learn. For example, I in 2018 really was not doing a good job balancing my full-time job and my real estate investing and my books and I really suffered from depression and mental health issues. And While that sucked, (laughs) and that was one of the worst things I've ever gone through, I learned from it, and my mental health is stronger because of it. And another example, I hired a sketchy property manager that ended up stealing $6,000 from me. So that also was not fun, but now I know better. So somebody told me about this acronym FAIL, which is First Attempt in Learning, and those were all my first attempts in learning, and I think you have to experience those to grow and get better. So I can't say I necessarily regret anything. I wish that I had known better back then, but I didn't. So there you have it.
1: Cody, did you ever have those moments where you're like, oh my God, this isn't going well. I'm totally going to fail. Like, and do you remember how you got past those? Because I think entrepreneurship is like that. Most successful entrepreneurs fall on their face a few
3: times before they make it work. Oh well, yeah, I've definitely fallen my face, but like Rachel, I like, love that fail acronym by the way. That's awesome. I'm I love failing. Like I like learning new things. I like getting better. And it sucks in the moment. It's horrible. Like, for example, 2019, middle of 2019, I had spent hundreds, yeah, multiple hundreds of hours for sure, putting together these two side hustle courses. One was on blogging, one was on freelancing with our mutual friend Julie from the Fire Drill podcast. And we shut down the freelancing course probably three or four months after that. And we ended up shutting the blogging course down and kind of putting all of our eggs into our main Etsy course. But man, that was like in the moment, that was the hardest thing ever. Like spending hundreds of hours building this thing out, building a community, recording videos, paying for the videos to be edited, putting all this content together, like pouring our hearts into this thing and then shutting it down. But you know, it just, it made me a better entrepreneur. Like it made me kind of Learn how to market better. It made me learn how to ask the audience, like, is this the right thing that I'm delivering, or you know, maybe maybe this wasn't the right thing. Maybe I should have done better polling before we went and created the content. So that's just one example of many where I've made mistakes. But I think another thing that, to my advantage, I, I'd made a lot of mistakes while I'm young. Like before I have kids, my expenses were really really low, so I had a lot of flexibility to, you know, if if I'd had a bad income month, it w- wouldn't be any big deal because I was keeping that really large gap between my income and the expenses at the time. So I don't know if we're getting the right word, but definitely learning lessons, definitely building blocks to where I am today came from so many of those in the moment, this sucks, I'm failing, but you know now, now I'm so much better equipped to handle any issues that might pop up in the future.
1: Rachel, let's talk about learning and failing a little bit. I feel like there are a few different paths to financial independence. One, which is what I kind of did, which is to make as much money as you can, get to a certain net worth, and then let that net worth through investments, et cetera, provide income for you and a means to a living. The other way is what we're talking about today, which is much more of a side hustle, passive income, creating these passive income streams in order to pay your monthly needs. My biggest fear always when I heard about people doing that is if they did fail, if the economy changed, if whatever their root of passive income was suddenly dried up, they wouldn't have a lot in reserves. Whereas if the stock market goes down and I lose 50% of my net worth, I still have the other 50% over to take care of things. Is there some innate risk, especially at the beginning of your career, going this kind of passive income route to financial independence?
0: There's there's risk in both. So the way I see it, there's a lot of risk in, in either path. The traditional way we've approached retirement is what I call the nest egg theory. So that's what you're referring to where we work, we save a chunk of money, and then we live off of that for the rest of our lives. The problem with that is that the times have really changed. So our generation is burdened with student loan debt, for example. We can't necessarily count on Social Security income because the trust fund is projected to be fully depleted by the year 2035. Pensions are a thing of the past. There's all these things that have changed making this nest egg theory very hard to accomplish. And I've seen a lot of studies that have cited that millennials will need to accumulate $2 million by age 65 in order to retire. I don't know about you guys, but that is a lot of money. Like I hear that number. I don't know many multimillionaires. I hear that number and that sounds very intimidating and very overwhelming. The way I see it with passive income is that it's much more attainable. Once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired. You're financially independent sure, there's risk with passive income as well. And that's where it's important to have the income diversification. Because just like my rental income dried up last April, I had all these other income streams keeping me afloat. I think I read another statistic somewhere that millionaires have seven sources of income. So that's the number that I always kind of aimed for. And that means if you lose one or two, the other five or six income streams should keep you afloat. So I think that is how you handle the risk with that.
1: I want to pivot now, Justin, to talk about the post-pandemic world we now live in. One of the interesting things I've seen happen, I I watched this with my wife's company, is that they actually now are worried about a labor shortage. So what you see in corporate America actually is raises more vacation time, and there's a push to really be more worker-centric. Do you think that's going to bring a lot more people back into the workplace?
2: You know, we're talking about kind of the demonization of the of the corporate America. How, like, especially in this space, people don't really think it's the greatest thing. They kind of put it as the bottom wrong way to get to financial independence. And I think that's a combination of things, right? Like, a we are getting into a more kind of developed society where people are understanding that you don't have to be in an office to get your work done. So you can be more flexible. You can. You know, work from different locations and really stretch out those vacations. Companies are offering better benefits. You know, the other thing is I think when you think about what part of your life you spend in corporate America, like a lot of people who have a bad taste with it, it's because maybe they just got out of college and they're at that bottom rung and they're only getting, you know, the kind of stuff that flows downhill and they're not getting to make decisions. Or maybe it's uh they're at it, they're working there in a time of their life where. The company has all the leverage and that can be psychologically like terrifying. You know, you can always be scared to not take on the extra work or to ask for the raise. But when you're in a position where you are in a place where you can kind of control your day to day and you have all the leverage because you've built that nest egg, you've saved that money, you have that frugality. And now you are the one who is holding all the power. Like you said, it's a hot job market, so they don't want to lose you. And when you know that and you know that you don't really need that job tomorrow, I've talked to Cody about this before. I think it makes you a better employee and it certainly makes that relationship a lot less toxic because you know that they need you. And if you want to ask for more money, they're not going to fire you. Even if they say no, if you say no to some projects, they're not going to fire you. Like it just puts so much more power in your court and just makes you so much more mentally stable and just such a better experience. And then in that dynamic, you know, I don't think corporate America is so bad. And I think we are headed into a a better time as far as corporate America goes. Cody, let's talk
1: about the options facing a young person going into the workplace today. It's 2021. Do you think the options are better or worse than they were before the pandemic?
3: What do you think the net effect has been? That's tough. This is totally not my arena or area of expertise, but just intuitively, I'm thinking that kind of what Justin was saying, the options might be better if you're someone who's kind of in the space, who has this money motivation mindset, who maybe has listened to podcasts like ours before, you know, and God bless them who are are listening to this and are, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. I don't know. I think there are there is a lot more kind of power in the hands of the employer nowadays. So I, I'm i just going to go out on a limb and say, maybe the prospects are a bit better depending on the field. Of course, all fields are going to be different, but that's just kind of my intuitive answer. I don't actually know.
1: What about the options of someone who wants to be self-employed, kind of look at the passive income side hustle way of making a living the way you did? Do you think the options are better or now now or before the pandemic, or is it just the same?
3: I am a lot more well versed in that space and I think that they're better. There's just that type of work is becoming a lot more popular. There's a lot more platforms for people to do it. There's a lot more people who are understanding that they don't need a corporate job. They can do this flex work, this gig work, this project-based work depending on, you know, what they want to do. But I think the options are honestly expanding every day and a lot of companies are starting to They hire contractors and freelancers instead of maybe hiring someone on full-time as a salaried employee. And then, you know, maybe that's because they don't want to give them the benefits. I'm not sure exactly, but I just see that as a, I see that as a common theme where a lot more freelance type jobs are available, even in my inner circles. Like I see people get hired on as contractors for this one-time project or maybe some kind of monthly stipend every single month. And yeah, I've definitely seen an uptick in those types of jobs over the past year and a half.
0: Yeah, I agree Cody. If you're trying to look for side hustle income, now is the best time. The options are endless. We've really moved into this like gig economy. 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have Airbnb or Lyft or Uber or DoorDash, Grubhub, Postmates, Instacart, all these things. So, wh- whether regardless of whether you have a full-time job or not, it's become easier than ever to get a part-time job in the evenings and on the weekends with all these other opportunities. And I think that's really great for young people.
1: Let me push you on that a little bit. You know, I'm a big fan of side hustles and passive income, but some of those don't really pay the bills very well, do they? I mean, like Uber and Grubhub, et cetera. I mean, it's a lot of expended time for very little money. I don't equate that kind of with some of the things you guys are talking about doing.
0: Yeah, I agree. There's nothing passive about a lot of those. Those are pure active income side hustles. When I'm talking about creating passive income, though, you do need to have either time or money to invest into creating passive income. So the first step for some people might be, well, how can I make more money through active income side hustles that I can then invest into a passive income stream? So I think if you kind of approach it that way, it it makes more sense.
2: I think the other interesting thing, too, is you can kind of couple these things together, right? Like you can take the nest egg approach and you can take this gig economy approach and you can say you know what? I've, let's say I need $40,000 a year to live with that 4% rule. It's a million. I got 500,000. How can I make 20,000 a year? Now, all of a sudden I can start sprinkling in some of these, these jobs that I get to do on my own time for just a few hours a week to make that 20,000. Now, maybe I get all the benefits that I was really looking for in a in a much quicker time frame. because now I'm, I've only reached half of that nest egg part, but I can sprinkle in some of that other income.
3: Yeah. I just want to talk from my own experience because I mean, I didn't come out of college or, you know, I didn't come out of that corporate job seven months in and just started making passive income right off the bat. Like I had to kind of hustle my butt off doing everything under the sun. I was building websites, I was writing white papers, I was writing articles, I was editing podcasts, I was editing videos, I was just doing everything. And those are all active income ventures, but that made me. Save so much more money, and I could start investing in real estate. I could start pouring money into the markets. I could start funding a solo 401k. And that probably wouldn't have been possible if I wasn't kind of hustling my butt off with those active income ventures. Because, you know, most people, if you don't have that gap that I've been talking about so many times today, if you don't have that, and maybe you are kind of trapped and you have asked for the raise at your corporate job and they said no. You kind of have to go somewhere else. You have to figure out some other way to, you know, pad the income a bit, and that could be through like an active income side hustle, like a DoorDash or an Uber. Even though you might not get the best return in your time, it takes ten minutes to sign up, and you can go do it whenever you want. I mean, you can literally drive for Uber at any time of the day. There's no no one telling you you have to drive from nine to five. You can just go do it for an hour instead of watching Netflix or whatever. Like it's just another way to to add to that income.
1: So what I've gleaned from this conversation is that young people are evolving and that indeed they did before the pandemic and continue to. Those people who chose to spurn corporate America are doing well and thriving, as well as those people who decided to go into corporate America. I guess what we're all looking for is not a label, whether we are employed or not employed, but to be able to exhibit some of that freedom and creativity that helps us grow and gives us joy. Either way, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of hard work one way or another. I wanted to thank you guys for coming on the show. And I was going to end this show the way end every episode of earn and invest by asking you what's up next in your life and where we can find you on the internet. Rachel, let's start with you. What's going on and where can we find you if we want to know more?
0: Yeah, thanks, Doc. What's going on now is that my husband and I are traveling for the rest of the year. So we're nomads. We don't have a house. It's been a lot of fun. I'm in Sonoma, California right now. And I just launched a new real estate investing boot camp, And I'm probably going to be launching a self-publishing program before the end of the year because I get a lot of questions about that. Where people can find me. So both of my books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement are available on Amazon in ebook, audiobook, and paperback. And you can find me on TikTok or Instagram at Money Honey Rachel.
1: Justin, tell us what's up next and where can we find you if we want to learn more?
2: Yeah, so kind of like Rachel, also in that travel period of my life right now, uh, only home two weeks in the two months. So uh, kind of keeping the roads hot, going to continue working the job for a little longer, stacking that pile. But to freak out some people who follow kind of the frugality things I do, I do plan on buying a brand new vehicle this year. So keep a lookout for that. And you can find me at uh, Saving Sherpa. You can just Google Saving Sherpa. You'll see the the website, Twitter, whatever. And also, obviously, me and Cody with TheFiveShow.com.
1: And last but not least, Cody, tell us what's happening and where can we find you?
3: Yeah. So definitely doing a lot of work on the side hustle course, the one that we didn't shut down, fortunately, and that's our Etsy printables course, our one with Julie. We're going to be kind of doing some boot camps and some workshops later this year, maybe rolling some new things out. Can't announce it yet where it's kind of still in the works. You can find me, you can kind of read a bunch of my older articles. I don't really publish on the blog much anymore, but that's at flytofly.com, And you can kind of read about my journey to financial independence and where I am now. And then obviously, like Justin mentioned, check out our podcast if you love listening to awesome, entertaining podcasts where you learn a bit about money and cool guests on The Fi Show.
1: This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Rachel Richards, Justin Taylor, and Cody Berman. That's a wrap. If you've been listening to this show and trying to figure out how do I increase my top line, one way is through real estate. And when I want to learn more about real estate, one of my favorite places to go is the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast with Coach Carson. This podcast is all about how to use real estate as an asset class to get ahead towards financial independence. There are two types of episodes, one in which the coach himself gives you all the tips and tricks on how to make money in real estate. The other is where he has guests proof-of-concept, real-life examples of people out there like you and I making real estate work towards their financial independence plan. It is a wonderful podcast. I hope you check it out. Go to CoachCarson.com. Again, that's CoachCarson.com. Take a listen. You won't regret it. So, I miss Julie. Right. We never see Julie anymore. Right. So she she's... has been
3: going crazy. She like drove an RV across the country from Seattle to Boston to move closer to her parents. She's just been in a, a whirlwind of random life stuff. Yeah. Once the podcast
1: shut down, her, her public life is a little bit less public. So we don't, <laughs> very true. <laughs> we don't get to know. So uh that was a great conversation. Thank you guys for being on. I, um, yeah, I, I think it's cool for people to see that those who started their journeys have done well and continue to do well and in fact i think you guys saw the tea leaves very well right you were able to look and not knowing that a pandemic or recession was coming set yourself up for what ended up being i think very beneficial during these times right because you got into businesses which could tolerate what was happening um, and even, Justin, with you, I think you kind of managed your life such that even if the pandemic had wiped out your corporate job, you probably would have been just fine. And it's it's some of that is that kind of resiliency. Maybe it's resiliency of income streams. Maybe it's resiliency of, of way of living. Um, but uh, you guys are a perfect example, I think, of how we evolve a lot of us who came to financial independence in our late thirties, early forties or later can see that there's probably a better way to go about things, and I think um, I think it's a good message. I think it's good for our community that people kind of see that you can start earlier, be more savvy, and waste less time, or I don't know about the word waste, but maybe use less of your time doing things you don't like.
2: And, Doc, I appreciate you uh, throwing some questions in there to keep me in the loop. I know I'm not, not the uh, entrepreneur that the other two are, but uh...
1: I, I think that's important, though, because yeah, again, I, I don't think entrepreneurship is everyone's thing. Um, I don't think, for instance, I would be able to be suc- as successful as Rachel and Cody. I, I mean, I know that. And that's okay. Like, you, different people do different things. Like, I found that for me, it ended up being a hybrid, right? And in fact, my life right now is a hybrid, not based on finances, but based on interest, right? So I still like working. I work as a consultant for a company. I'm pretty much a part-time employee for them, but that kind of works for me because I get to do work I like to do and it brings me joy. And I don't have to think about any of the details. Like it's completely someone else's bag. I just need to show up and do the things I like to do. So I don't think you, I don't think you have to be a Rachel or Cody to kind of learn how things have changed. Cause Justin, I think you're a great example of someone who's, I mean, pretty much you live virtually, right? You work virtually cause you're out and about all the yeah. time. I have no doubt that God forbid, if something happened to your corporate job, you would bounce back because of the skills you have as well as your interest in, in doing these things for fun.
2: Um, so I don't, I don't think.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a good counterpoint.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. To the it's story. an interesting freedom too, to like, You know, you think about like the freedom of being an entrepreneur, you can do whatever you want when you want. But there's also a freedom for me. Like if I come off a vacation, I haven't prepared really anything. I haven't done anything. I just open up my computer on Monday or whatever and works there. You know, I didn't have to prepare anything for it. I had to build anything up for it. I had to care and feed it. It's just like, it's just there. So
1: The other nice thing too is, so granted, it took me to my 40s to get here. But the other nice side is like, I have my nest egg, which makes money for me. And that provides, you know, by 4% rule, let's say that provides an in, an income to live off of. But then when I go do it and work and then make six figures doing part-time work because I have this degree as a physician and it pays that kind of things. Like, I can spend an extra $100,000 every year and not even think twice about it. And then my wife decides to work. I can spend an extra $200,000 a year <laughs> above and beyond my normal budget. If I really wanted to live a fat life, like, that's that's also part of the fun, which I think you guys are getting to anyway. Like, Rachel, you were talking about fat fire. But the thing about it is when you become successful at doing what you're doing, you get way past that. I'm just making enough money to survive. Yeah. And you get back to that point where, okay, now I have investments and those are kicking off money and I have my real estate and that's kicking off money and I have my business and that's kicking off money. And, and you know, I, I think you guys, it's just, I'm in my you know, late forties and you guys are in your twenties, um, but above and beyond, I think we all will end up in the same place.
2: Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the daily crunch podcast from TechCrunch.